0: Hello, everybody. Welcome. As we uh, get back on track with our journey through the Bible, we uh, um, are going to once again move back into the book of Exodus. I did want to thank the staff pastors that stepped in and sort of took over the last five or six Wednesdays um, during the holidays to give my brain a little rest. They all did a great job, and um, I appreciate all of them taking uh, some time to do that. But we're going to fire back up now through this year. We're um, in the book of Exodus right now. We are about, this must be the beginning of year number eight in our chapter at a time through the Bible. We did all of the New Testament. We've worked through the book of Genesis together, and we are starting Exodus chapter 26 today. So we've we spent quite a bit of time in the book of Exodus already. We've got a ways to go. Uh, Exodus is an interesting book. I've been telling you that all along. The main sort of, you know, events we we want to talk about uh, during the um, the Exodus are the the Passover and you know all that that means for us. The you know the the uh, we wanted to look at the plagues and how they took place and what that meant, uh, and the crossing of the Red Sea and the importance of that, and. Um, now we're going to talk about the tabernacle, and then we're going to look at the law, and see how these things foreshadow um, the, the perfect that was to come in Christ, and having an understanding of some of these things that are happening now will sort of help um, you understand more perhaps the book of Hebrews when we read that, because uh, a lot of that was, was being formed now, but, but it was a, a just something that was put in place until Jesus was to come and perfect those things uh, in the process. And these chapters now um, are, are kind of focused on the tabernacle. And that'll be from verse, uh, chapters 25 through 40. So it's really a, quite a few weeks just talking about this, uh, this tabernacle that is going to be you know, put together uh, in the wilderness. Now, why is this happening and what's going on now? Um, well, you know, since we started the reading... Uh, and, and particularly in Exodus, the Lord had promised to deliver His people from Egypt, as we started reading um, in Exodus. Uh, and uh, He had done that. He's adopted them now to Himself as a special treasure. Uh, we wrote about that. And the rest of the promise that He gave was that He was going to come uh, to the camp to dwell with His people, Israel that these were the things that we were going to see take place in in the beginning of Exodus, and so now he's making those things happen. In order to come and dwell with the people, uh, he was going to need two things, the Lord. He was going to need a place for his glory to dwell, and he was going to need people to minister to him in that place. And so he's commanded uh, now, the Lord has the building of this tabernacle, uh, and, and he's going to set apart the tribe of Levi to be the ones who would minister to him. And so the the kind of two big themes that we're going to look at here are the, the building of the tabernacle in chapters 25 through 40 and the ordaining of the priesthood uh, and what that means and how all that will ultimately tie in to uh, Jesus and Him being the perfect once and for all sacrifice. So uh, up until this point, you know, throughout Genesis and parts of Exodus, we've, we've seen that uh, the Lord, you know, has, has walked with His people. We saw that with Adam and Eve and Enoch and Noah um, and the patriarchs, but now He's going to come and dwell with them, and this is different, and having the Lord dwelling in the camp was a, an amazing privilege for the nation of Israel. No other nation had the living God in their midst, uh, and, you know, Part of our understanding of why we believe the way we believe and, and it was the establishment by God of Israel and how he came and dwelled with them. But this, um, this privilege was going to come with responsibility um, because it meant that there would, you know, this camp was to be a holy place where, where a holy God could dwell. And so um, he, this tabernacle is going to be put together that can, uh, where God can come and dwell in the process. And, and so it's, there's a lot that goes into it, uh, and, and there's a lot of very sp- uh, precise things that are going to take place here in the building of this tabernacle, and then ultimately in the building of the temple. But things are going to happen here in the tabernacle. And we're going to be reading about today curtains. And you think, well, that's, that's kind of interesting, but there's a lot on curtains in, uh, in today's chapter. And there's going to be um, this, this first curtain that we're going to look at when we start reading the, the Scripture. There's three sort of curtains or coverings that, that are going to happen. One is this uh, beautifully embroidered cloth that will surround the holy place and, and separate um, the uh, holy of holies, the very inner sanctum. And then um, you're going to see they're going to put together a series of wooden uprights that will hold this sort of um, big tent, if you would, together in, uh, in a symmetrical way, uh, all four walls. The, um, the, the, the wood's going to be waterproofed, and then out, then another curtain is going to be put that, that sort of houses all of this, and those curtains are going to be made of um, ram skins and goat skins, and, and um, this would protect the, the tabernacle from wind and from rain and even from sort of desert sandstorms. That would happen, and it would keep the tabernacle clean from all of those things. So we're going to read about that in just a moment. You're also going to hear the term cubit as a measurement. If you've read, you've been reading, you, it's a Bible measurement, a cubit, and a cubit um, is the length of, of, from the elbow to the point of the forefinger. That's a cubit. Now the problem with that is that's different on everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so how did they come up with a standard? Um, they maybe one thought is that it was Moses' arm that they used as a standard um, for, for this whole thing, or maybe it was one of the guys that was, you know, put in charge of building the whole thing, but here's something interesting. Historically, they, um, they believe over time that the, the standard for Israel of a cubit was 17 and a half inches, and and you think, well, pfft, how how do we know that? Here's here's something. They they in um, there's an inscription uh, on the wall of a tunnel in Siloam, and this inscription was uh, was put there. Uh, and when uh, when they were invaded uh, by one of the invading armies, in very early in their history, um, this this tunnel, the inscription on the tunnel was that this tunnel was 1,200 cubits. And they measured it, and it was 1,749 feet, which makes a cubit um, 17.49 inches. So how about that? So they not only said, this is how long it is. Here's something you can measure. And then they measured it, and there you go. So we have a pretty good idea that a cubit is 17 and half inches. Maybe it's 17.49, but still pretty close, running over a 1,200 cubit span. It was probably 17.5. And... Um, so you know, if you, it, it just kind of when you start hearing this, these dimensions, you have an idea of what was going on. We did cubits, remember, when we built, when we looked at the ark, um, but we're not sure whose forearm they were using when they built the ark. But 17 and a half inches is what's happening. So let's uh, let me read this to you, the 37 verses. We'll talk about it a little bit on the other side, and we'll go from there. Exodus 26, beginning in verse one. I'm reading out of the NIV. That's what should show up on the walls. might be a little different. It's a little newer version than I read. I read an older version. But whatever translation you're reading is fine with me. Beginning in verse 1. Make the tabernacle with ten curtains of finely twisted linen and blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, with cherubim worked into them by a skilled craftsman. All the curtains are to be the same size, 28 cubits long and 4 cubits wide. Join five of the curtains together and do the same with the other five. Make loops of blue material along the edge of the end curtain in one set and do the same with the end curtain in the other set. Make 50 loops on one curtain and 50 loops on the end curtain of the other set with loops opposite each other. Then make 50 gold clasps and use them to fasten the curtains together so that the tabernacle is a unit. Make curtains of goat hair hair for the tent over the tabernacle, 11 altogether. All 11 curtains would be the same size, 30 cubits long and 4 cubits wide. Join 5 of the curtains together into one set and the other 6 in another set. Fold the 6 curtain double at the front of the tent. Make 50 loops along the edge of the end curtain in one set and also along the edge of the end curtain in the other set. Then make 50 bronze clasps and put them in the loops to fasten the tent together as a unit. As for the additional length of the tent curtains, the half curtain that is left over is to hang down at the rear of the tabernacle. The tent curtains will be a cubit longer on both sides. What is left will hang over the sides of the tabernacle so as to cover it. Make for the tent a covering of ram skins dyed red, and over that a covering of hides of sea cows. Make upright frames of acacia wood for the tabernacle. Each frame is to be ten cubits long and a cubit and a half wide, with two projections set parallel to each other. Make all the frames of the tabernacle in this way. Make 20 frames for the south side of the tabernacle and make 40 silver bases to go under them. Two bases for each frame, one under each projection. For the other side, the north side of the tabernacle, make 20 frames and four silver bases, two under each frame. Make six frames for the far end, that is the west end of the tabernacle. Make two frames for the corners at the far end. At these two corners, they must be double from the bottom all the way to the top and fitted into a single ring both shall be like that. So there'll be eight frames and 16 silver bases, two under each frame. Also make crossbars of acacia wood, five for the frames on one side of the tabernacle, five for those on the other side, and five for the frames on the west, on the west at the far end of the tabernacle. The center crossbars to extend from end to end at the middle of the frames. Overlay the frames with gold and make gold rings to hold the crossbars. Also overlay the crossbars with gold. Set up the tabernacle according to the plan shown you on the mountain. Make a curtain of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and finely twisted linen with cherubim worked into it by a skilled craftsman. Hang it with gold hooks on four posts of acacia wood overlaid with gold and standing on four silver bases. Hang the curtain from the clasps and place the ark of the testimony behind the curtain. The curtain will separate the holy place from the most holy place. Put the atonement cover on the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. Place the table. Outside the curtain on the north side of the tabernacle, and put the lampstand opposite on the south side. For the entrance to the tent, make a curtain of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and finely, twist, finely twisted linen, the work of an embroiderer. Make gold hooks for this curtain and five postification of woods overlaid with gold, and cast five bronze bases for them. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Now certainly you all have a perfect mental picture of how this works. <laughs> Because as you read it, it just in your mind, you blueprinted it all out, and now you see clearly what was happening. Um, so, so, this is what I think is interesting. You may have a tendency sometimes when you're reading the scripture to skip over stuff like this. This and chrono, uh, the chronological stuff, when they're given the big family lines. Um, uh, it takes an effort to hang in there and read them and kind of stick with it. But um, there's always something that we can get out of it, and it's worth reading. And uh, if if you are are reading something, just let me give you some ideas on how you can make it more interesting. Uh, If you had a computer nearby, and like almost everybody does, or some sort of smart device at this point, um, and you were to Google, show me what the tabernacle looked like, you would be amazed at how many illustrations are of what's going on here that help it to understand. And, it, and just having sometimes an illustration will help you sort of get a hold of what's taking place. Um, I think you, you need to look at this type of Scripture and wonder, you know, ask yourself, God, what does it mean for me today? And is there something that I can learn from this? And why is this important? Um, you know, I think about things about how important detail was. Uh, that that these things would happen, and that that at some level some of these things that we're seeing here are a representation of things in heaven. Um, they're they're sort of replicas in some ways of things that we're going to see when we get there. And so the detail was very important um, that that we would have an idea of what some of these things would look like and why they're important. But beyond that, um, there's some neat pictures that I want to talk about, and then I want to talk a little bit about that. The, curtain around the Holy of Holies um, today, and why that's important to us. So there in the first big chunk of Scripture, the first 14 verses, um, they, they, these artisans, these craftsmen, skilled craftsmen, were to weave 10 panels of tent fabric. Um, it, was, it was finely twisted linen, specifically blue, purple, and scarlet thread. Uh, it, it was what that means. And that phrase blue, purple, scarlet, thread, yarn, whichever way the translation says it, is, appears 24 times in these 15 chapters that we're going to be reading, 16 chapters. And um, it, it most likely describes the process of spinning flax into thread to then use in weaving. So anybody here ever done any weaving? Um, yes. So my, my daughter-in-law is a, is a big weaver. She has actually looms upstairs in one of the rooms where she weaves things. And I never knew about weaving until I watched her do some of that stuff. And it's very fascinating stuff. And and even making thread and the things that that happens. And uh, so so this was a very intricate process. And not only that, they're they going to, in this weaving of this tent fabric, these curtains that they're making, um, they're going to be beautifully ornate. And in this one, they were going to weave into their cherubim so that in in the... As angels would be, you know, representations of angels, not actual angels, but, you know, angels are going to be woven into this fabric. Now, think about that. If you've ever watched stuff that's happening on a loom, and, and so that was going to take a real artist and tremendous amounts of math to, uh, to figure out how to end up with cherubim in the middle or wherever these things are going to be all over this tent fabric. So this was a big deal. These things were done... They were going to be done well, and um, it would be a huge process that was going on. So it's not like they were just slapping up a tent in the middle of the wilderness. Um, this was going to be intricate. It was going to take some, some really skilled people. It was going to take time. People were going to get involved in the process. And um, that word craftsman means a weaver of colors. So so these were people who were going to make this happen. And, and um, I just think, you know, when when you... Remember when we studied Revelation, and, and uh, the Apostle John kept trying to describe things that he was seeing, and he couldn't, he, couldn't, he couldn't give you enough information to give you the colors of things that were taking place, how vivid everything was there. And, and so this, these, these beautiful things that are about to happen have this idea of how amazing God is. And they were going to join these pieces together. They would join together two sets of five lengths. Um, so it's 28 by 4 cubits, basically 42 feet by 6 feet. And, and um, that would create two large sections, uh, you know, five each. And then they were going to join the five each. Um, and they were called sisters. Um, the, the Hebrews uh, will call that, that those, each piece a, a sort of a sister. They join those together with, um, with gold uh, that would help them. They were going to make loops and then, and then clasps of pure gold, 50 loops down that 42-foot run, and then they would be clasped together, making one big sort of tent covering. You with me? So that's gonna cover this, this, this that's gonna be this very intricate thing. Then, over that, uh, in some way, so it's a little bit bigger, they make another sort of tent fabric, and it would be made of spun and woven goat hair and ram hair. And that would make this thing virtually weatherproof. Waterproof, windproof, pretty heavy-duty stuff. And, and that part, even though it was going to be dyed red, that would look more like uh, a, a lot of the big tents that were being made at the time. And then, um, and so spun here was kind of a common tent covering, although not dyed red. That was going to make it, it was going to stand out, right? And then there's a, another couple of outer coverings that were used. Um, Ramskins dyed red and a covering of hides of sea cows. And you're like, well, that's kind of weird. Um, And and there was, in fact, a a sea mammal there, the dugong, which somehow related to the manatee that um, those hides would be used, probably because they were waterproof. Um, So so this is all part of this intricate tabernacle system. Um, The next 15 verses really uh, spend time talking about these frames and how they would be put together so that there would be symmetry inside this big tent and, and, you know, walls and... um, how it would all come together because they were going to have to move this thing uh, and how it would all fit together and it was going to be very precise in the process and these, uh, these dividers were going to be put up there in the last few verses and these two wooden divide, these woven dividers um, had the, the name actually changes there and it's a veil and this veil was going to be put in front of the ark uh, in the holiest place in the tabernacle uh, and, and it would separate... The, the most holy place from the holy place inside the tabernacle uh, that was going to be there. And, and then right outside there, um, the, so the ark would be inside that, that veil, and then right outside the table of the bread of presence and the lampstand, which we talked about in chapter 25. Remember, it was interesting. He says, we're going to build a tabernacle, and he starts with the furniture. God did in that last chapter. We would do things. If you were going to build a house, you probably wouldn't start with the furniture. Right? Most of you, if you built your house, the first thing you didn't do was... All right, let's build all the furniture for the house. <laughs> and then we'll start working on the house. They do it. But he was this furniture is important stuff. So this Holy of Holies, this, this most inner place, would, would develop over time. And there would be one in the temple um, as well. And this area, what would happen was, and why this is important now. So that place, the Holy of Holies, was literally where the presence of God would dwell. And access to that place um, was only allowed once a year um, on the Day of Atonement, and, and the only person who would go in was a high priest at the time. Uh, he would uh, go in, burn incense, actually probably go in with burning incense to um, uh, make sure that he, he wasn't able to see anything and he would sprinkle the blood of a sacrificial animal on the mercy seat, which was the covering of the Ark of the Covenant. That was called the mercy seat. And, and by doing that, once a year, he atoned for his own sins and for the sins of the people. So this place was separated by this veil, this big veil, a heavy drape made of the fine linen we talked about, blue, purple, scarlet yarn. Uh, embroidered with these cherubim, most likely gold cherubim, uh, in the midst of these fabrics is what was happening. And, uh, and God says, when we get to Leviticus 16, that he will appear in the Holy of Holies. And since God will be there, there's this need for a veil because um, God can't be in the presence of sin. It doesn't happen that way. Um, the holiness of God um, could only be accessed only once a year and only by the high priest as a representation of of what was happening. So all of these sort of things that are going to be put into place here that are coming up are a reminder that that we can't casually or irreverently enter into the presence uh, of God's, you know, of of God's awesome presence. And so before the high priest could ever enter, uh, he had to, he couldn't just walk in there because it was a day. He had to do this Long ritual washing, special clothing was worn, uh, burning incense so the eyes is covered, the smoke would cover his eyes to view his direct uh, to make sure he couldn't have a direct view of God, and this um, this sacrifice of blood went in with him. Now, why that's important to us today? Um, do you remember? And we we talked about this, but it's it's cool to talk about again. During the crucifixion, when Jesus dies, something happens that. Uh, is, is worth noting. Um, in, in Matthew 27, verse 50, it says, When Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This, this, this curtain temple, this thick, heavy curtain, uh, miraculously, supernaturally tore from top to bottom when at the point of the crucifixion. It wasn't torn by a man. It was a supernatural event done by the power of God to make this very specific point. Because of the death of Jesus on the cross, man would no longer be separated from God. The Old Testament system that we're reading now, this entire temple system that we're going to be reading about, was made obsolete as the New Covenant and the New Testament was ratified in Christ We wouldn't have to depend any longer on a priest to perform a -a once-a-year sacrifice on our behalf. Christ's body was, in effect, torn on the cross just as the veil was torn in the temple. And and now we have access to God through Jesus. We have confidence, the writer of Hebrews says, to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is His body. So the once-and-all sacrifice of Jesus on the cross does away, for, does away with the need for sacrifices, those yearly sacrifices and the other sacrifices that were happening. And, and uh, they were put in place, and we're going to see them put in place as a foreshadowing of the perfect sacrifice to come, the Holy Lamb of God slain for the sins of the world. And so the Holy of Holies, that most holy place, is, is the very presence of God, and now it's available to all of us who come to Christ and we have access to the literal presence of God 24-7 now. We talk about that all the time. Because God sees us in the perfection of His Son, we have access to God. We're no longer separated by a veil or a curtain or somebody else has to go and do it for us. Because of Jesus, we can have this access ourselves to God. And, and all of that happened, um, you know, as, as the, the, Jesus sheds His blood on the cross and pays for sin and makes a way for us to be reconciled to God once again. So when you start reading about all of these things that we're reading about now, um, it's it's all foreshadowing of where we, so we've already read the the New Testament. So now these things you're gonna see. Look at the look at the lengths he went to so that people could know ultimately the issue was sin and how 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 much God loves us, but how our sin had separated us from Him. And the lengths that He goes to. We picked that up in Genesis 3.15. Remember this crimson thread of redemption? All these things are the lengths that God has gone to for us to be redeemed. Back into relationship with Him. Even though we've all chosen to go on our way. We've all sinned. We've all turned our backs on God. We we, we can't get back in our own strength. He's made this way for us. And you're beginning to see pictures of it happening now. And the lengths that He went to to make this happen. So when you read all the detail that's happening and all the things that are happening. There's reasons behind them so that we would never take for granted what's, what's available to us now. Um, the access that we have to God is, is so amazing. I think it's, it, it, if we're not careful, we begin to not you know, be fully amazed like we should be at the access that we have to God. Not by anything that we have done, but by everything that He has done for us. And, and how much He loves us to make that happen. So um, that's what I wanted you to think about this week, and we'll be digging into more of these things in the weeks ahead, but that's good for today. If you're watching my video, thanks for watching. Come and join us when you can. If you need prayer, go to the website and uh, put in your prayer request, and we will pray for you. We hope to see you soon.